This podcast contains material that is intended for mature audiences and may not be suitable for all listeners. Enjoy. This Tailgate Society podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Deadeye Premium Barbecue Products. Born in Iowa and made in the heartland, Deadeye is your go-to source for everything barbecue. Sauces, seasonings, you name it. They've made a science out of great grilling flavor. It's more than a sauce. Whether you're cooking sliders, dogs, steak, or chicken, Deadeye has the explosive flavor needed to make every dish delicious. Try a splash of their sweet and smoky original recipe or turn up the heat with their Magnum Edition barbecue sauce. Both flavors are available in seasonings as well as sauces. So pick your favorite and prepare your taste buds for an unforgettable eating experience. Deadeye Premium Barbecue products are available at Fairway, Hy-Vee, Amazon, or at DeadeyeBBQ.com. Welcome to Bitter Units, a beer pod hosted by TheTailgateSociety.com. This is a brand new pod, and we're here to tell you about beer. I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory, right? It's a beer pod. What we've got set up for you is a couple of guys, three of us actually, that uh, are just going to talk about our experiences with beer. Uh, we all have different levels of sophistication when it comes to beer. I have zero. JT, our resident snob, has a pretty significant amount. And then we have our expert, Tim Johnson, in the house. Uh, Tim is the expert because, well, he'll tell you why he's the expert. And when you listen to him, you'll understand why he's the expert and why I know nothing. So to just get started a little bit, we'll talk about a little bit of who we are. I'll go first. I'm Aaron L. Wall on Twitter. So at Aaron L. Wall, Aaron L. Wall excuse me. I uh, travel quite a bit for work. I also write the tailgater uh, pieces that you see on TGS, if you're familiar. So I do a lot of traveling. I get around the country quite a bit in the western part of the United States, and I try to sort seek out uh, local dive bars and stuff like that. So I do drink beer. I am by no means a connoisseur. I am uh, Miller Lite, Miller High Life, Budweiser, Pretty basic, straightforward. I'll get outside of that box, not of my own choosing most of the time. It's usually because I'm with somebody who wants to go to a microbrew or something like that. Uh, JT, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, too? A uh, big beer drinker. Find me on Twitter at JT the Nut. Uh, that's two T's on Nut. Didn't really get into beer until I had a roommate that moved in who was really into hoppy beers. Used to spend a lot of time. They would shoot pool at the um, Raccoon River downtown Des Moines, which is no longer there. It's now Bubba, which has really good food. But uh, wasn't really much of a beer drinker. I was kind of a whiskey guy. He got in the hoppy beer. I'm like, yeah, this is kind of good. I eventually kept drinking enough that I found a couple that I liked and became my thing. Got a different different number of beers I like, but now I, I frequent when we can. Back before the epidemic, I'd go to a microbrewery at least a couple times a week, uh, especially 515 and Twisted Vine because they're right by my house. There's also Fox Brewery by my house, but there's, yeah, so, and they're not open that much. So, yeah, so I've uh, been drinking beer ever since and love it and glad to be part of the podcast. Awesome, man. Uh, Tim, explain to us in as layman terms as possible why you're the expert. Well, uh, aside from being a home brewer for two decades, I've actually been a professional brewer as well. I've also worked behind a bar at the corporate side of bar and restaurants. But most recently, I was head brewer of Badger Hill Brewing in Shakopee, Minnesota. I've done the American Brewers Guild intensive brewing science and engineering program. 
certified beer server in the Cicerone program, so I've done a few things with beer. I've done a few things of beer, too. That's drinking one with my left hand, drinking one with my right hand. Um, and that's pretty much the extent of it. Just uh, those of you that are paying attention there, obviously, uh, Tim is in Minnesota, uh, the cities area. JT lives in the uh, Des Moines area uh, in Iowa, and I actually live in Everett, Washington, so Seattle market. Uh, so we're going to, as we explore try to explore local breweries in those areas when we're talking about this stuff and we get into tasting in future episodes of other types of beers. So if you're in some of those areas, you'll probably catch the names of, say, 515 and uh, the other stuff that we mentioned and be like, oh, yeah, I know that place or whatever. But uh, just understand we're not all in the same place, so you're probably going to hear some names of places you're not familiar with. Um, but uh, hit us up on Twitter or whatever if you got questions on where these places are and you don't know while we're talking about it. Um, the first subject we're going to talk about, or we're going to hit up here, is a little bit more descriptor of kind of who we are, and I've talked about it a little bit already. If I'm stuck on a desert island, what am I going to have to drink? Personally, I'm going to have Miller High Life. I'm going to have Budweiser, and that's probably all I really need. Because to me, Miller High Life is a light beer, and Budweiser is a full-bodied, full-flavored beer. Um, so I'm good with those, too. If I want something a little lighter, I'll drink a High Life. JT, what are you taking with you? First of all, I'm taking Oreo Speedwagon. It's my favorite beer. It's out of Lake Time in Clear Lake, Iowa. Uh, it's an Oreo cookie stout. I only tried it because on Oreo Speedwagon, Oreo Speedwagon, okay, we'll give it a shot. Had it at El Bait Shop, which has over 100 beers on tap and even more rare ones in bottles. Just really like that right away. Uh, second favorite beer would be Dale's Pale Ale out of the Denver area. I'm a big hockey guy. Whenever I go an avalanche game, I always start pounding those. Uh, there's one time I went to a game. It was the last game of the season. The winner of that game with the playoffs loser went home. Uh, had several of those and ended up wa- walking home with a jersey I don't remind, remember buying. And if you know anything about hockey jerseys, they're not very cheap. So, uh, so yeah, so that was the thing. Then I also like, uh, I've kind of been on a dark kick. So one I didn't mention when we first recorded this was the Canadian Breakfast Stout by Founders. It's one of my absolute favorites. They got a couple of varieties of that too that are very good. The Winchester down the street from me has got a couple of varieties that are phenomenal. And then um, Breakfast Porter was really good from Rooks. And I also say I do like the Bud Light Lime, Bud Light Orange, because if I'm drinking all the heavy beers, I'm going to need something light uh, to kind of offset my palate and kind of reset. Especially if it's hot out, you know, I can do Coors Light. I can do a Bush Light before a hockey game. We call them water bottles. Uh, you always make sure someone brings the water bottles before your game. Uh, other than that, not really something I drink. Although I can drink the Silver Bowl. It's all right. But Miller Light, absolutely not. So a little bit of flavor to a regular beer, and I can I can drink it down. All right, on. So JT actually hinted at uh, an issue we had recording this the first time we went through this entire podcast and did not either hit the record button or it didn't take or not really sure what happened. So this is actually take two, so it's still going to be terrible, just a little less terrible than the first time probably. <laughs> but uh, one of those things that happens as you're starting something new. Tim, tell us about what you're taking with you. On my desert island, I'm going to start off with a beer out of St. Paul. My friend's over at Bad Weather Brewing called Sun Pillar. It's a Belgian blonde. It's one of those things that, man, I can drink all the time. It's a seasonal, but I would drink it just about any time of year. But it's perfect after mowing the lawn uh, or just a hard day at work. 
The next one I'm going to pick is Bell's Two-Hearted. That's one of those first kind of big craft beers that got me into uh, craft brewing and drinking and enjoying those things. And it's one of those that if I see that on a menu, I know I'm going to order that anytime. So that's you know a good regional IPA that I love. Locally here in St. Louis Park, Minnesota, at Steel Toe Brewing is an IPA called Size 7. That is absolutely one of my go-tos as well. It's something that I, that I will make sure uh, to have a pint or two if I see it on draft. I'm also going to go with, again, I'm picking a lot of, of Minnesota breweries here, but uh, Shells out of New Ulm has their Fire Brick Vienna Lager. It's one of those that... Uh, Anytime I see it on draft, I'm definitely going to go ahead and have some. It used to be on tap all the time at a couple of the bars that I would go to, and I'd get a ham sandwich and a fire brick, and I was happy. And uh, the last one, I'm going to be a little bit selfish here, a little immodest, and say one of my own. Uh, but last year, I released a cream ale called The Loyalist american light ale from badger hill out of shakopee it's one of those that we made originally for canterbury park or no i'm sorry for valley fair uh we've done beers for both canterbury the racetrack and valley fair the the amusement park this one was for, for valley fair uh for people to drink while riding the rides and all of those but it's one of those that i'm really proud of if i can have it in my fridge at all times i absolutely will oh so it's one of those that you uh, made for while well, people are riding roller coasters to projectile vomit or well, you know, <laughs> those, those people are going to lose it on the roller coaster uh, if you've ever been to an amusement park with a kid as an adult you definitely know that having a beer or two makes that experience a little bit more palatable <laughs> beer cures a lot of ills that's for sure stuff we want to cover as this pod goes along here obviously we're going to do some tastings we're going to try to have various styles and, and guests who like specific styles and hopefully maybe get some some more industry folk in to talk about that side of the business as well. But we do want to focus on uh, the normal people, the consumers, the people like JT and I, although we're definitely two different level of consumer. So from a consumer basic side of things, Tim, what tips and pointers can you give us when it comes to finding beer and, and what we should be looking for to determine whether good, bad, that kind of stuff. Sure, absolutely. I I would say as this podcast goes along, I'll get more into off flavors and how you identify a certain off flavors. But for the most part, someone who's new to beer or even someone who maybe has had a lot of beer but doesn't necessarily understand how it's made, really just going through how do you appreciate a beer, how do you taste a beer. I certainly encourage people to try a lot of things. Uh, that said, if you know you're not going to like something, don't punish yourself. Uh, just the general tasting method I like to go through is I like to start off, I like to look at that beer. Uh, we say that we drink with our eyes first, so what does that appearance look like? Is, is it hazy? Is it clear? Is it dark in color? Is it straw colored? Look at those things and see what, what cues those can or can't get you about what you're uh, about to put into your mouth. For sure. Some of those can be deceiving. Not all dark beers are the same, but you definitely want to have that. Um, after that, go ahead and give it a, a sniff. So we're going to figure out that, uh, that aroma. You want to be able to get that aroma both through your nose and breathing through the back of your nose, that retronasal 
aroma so you can understand what kind of cues that's going to give you. Go ahead and give that beer a taste. Let it sit on your tongue for a little bit. See how that feels. Um, as well, while it's in there, it's mouthfeel, which uh, mouthfeel is not necessarily something that <laughs> uh, everyone understands. It's a little silly to say. Uh, but you really want to understand is it's thicker, fuller? Is it thinner, lighter? Is it effervescent? Is it a little bit more still? Is it a little bit more drying? Are you getting what are you getting out of that? And then finally, the finish after you've drank it again, you're going to have a lot of retronasal aroma that's going through. It might have a drying effect on your tongue. It might leave a, a cloying sweetness, a bitterness. So you want to go ahead and experience from looking at it in a glass all the way to how it's finishing once it's in your belly. Okay, say, so yeah, that's a pretty brief overview, and obviously we'll get deeper into some of that once we really start trying beers and we'll, we'll talk more about those kind of guidelines for the consumers. You know, what it, <laughs> the mouthfeel is and all of that when we start trying different beers uh, that may be stouts versus cream ales and all of that kind of stuff, they're all going to be different. Uh, for those of you who are more experienced, such as JT, um, you know, you're going to know some of that already. Uh, if you're like me, you're not going to know any of that hardly already, although I can imagine that JT's favorite beer there that he's talking about, that Oreo Speedwagon, being a stout is probably pretty thick from a mouthfeel perspective compared to, say, like a Bud Light or something like that. Uh, that would be my assumption from the few stouts and things that I've had in my life. Does that sound about right, JT? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, I definitely, mouthfeel, I not something I've always really understood the term, but I can enough that i guess i get what they're saying and yeah definitely they always say it hits different parts of your tongue and my i've got an uncle in the wine business says the same thing to me i guess my palate isn't as complicated as i thought but uh i can certainly tell if something tastes different if it tastes sweeter if it tastes more sour if it tastes this that or the other thing and i never really realized before how the actual color of a beer can really dictate the flavor although there's a place in iowa called reclaim rails that has a pale stout which is a very clear beer, but it's very much a stout flavor. It's actually really good, but it still kind of trips you out because you're used to your eyes seeing a particular flavor and your mouth gives you a different one. That it, It's kind of cool and it's kind of different. I couldn't drink it all the time, but but yeah, I definitely get what he's saying. So they pull the old switcheroo on you, do they? Yeah. Dirty sons of bitches. <laughs> we interesting. I'd actually never heard of that before, a, a clear or a light-colored stout. Every stout I've ever seen has been, say, you know, you can't see through it. It's real dark and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So that that's interesting. That's a, a neat, I don't know if you want to call it gimmick uh, or not, but, you know, maybe gimmick if you want to call it that. But uh, if it's a good beer, it's obviously not a gimmick. So, uh, But that kind of does lead us to the next part of this conversation um, because we do have an expert here. From the business side of things, Tim, what, as a brewer, are you trying to accomplish when you make a beer? For me, first and foremost, I want that beer to uh, be something that I think is a representation of what that beer ought to be. It's not to say that I am making a beer for myself or I'm making a beer that I love. 
Uh, I can make a beer that I love. That's called home brewing. But unfortunately, this is a business. I joke all the time that I could, I'd be happy to brew for my integrity, but my daughter's healthcare requires money, not integrity. So uh, certainly, what I want to do is make sure that uh, I'm brewing a beer that is hitting all the styles and that people are going to to understand. Maybe be surprised though. So something like a blonde stout. Uh, which is really interesting where you can still get coffee and chocolate notes, but have that that uh, kind of fool your eye, fool your stomach thing going on with that. But really understanding that balance between what trends are going on, uh, what people are drinking these days, and, and learning how to pivot fairly quickly because you're going to have a, a wide variety of challenges to keeping flavor consistent. Yeah, I would imagine I would imagine that to be the case. Uh, when you are setting up your, let's say, bar or tap room, maybe is a better terminology, what kind of array of beers do you think you should have? Should you have 100? Should you have two and do them really well? Or, I mean, what, what are you looking at when you're trying to establish a business? I, I think first and foremost, when, when breweries are starting open, anyone, anything more than six to open feels awfully aggressive. You've got a lot of things going on with there. I really love the idea of eight to 12 being a good sweet spot for a brewery. And actually, even for most bars, it ensures that you can keep your lines clean, that you can have beer rotating pretty regularly, that you have fresh beer. So not just different beer, but also fresh beer on because inevitably the more beers you have on, the dogs at the end of your lineup are not going to sell at all. The next thing you know, you have three months, three month old kegs sitting in your cooler that you wish would move. So those are challenges when you get to be too big, too small. You don't offer enough variety. My ideal is always kind of the eight to 12, but I also know a lot of breweries that are in really high traffic, high volume areas, something like say close to target field where they know they're going to get a lot of traffic and they're able to have a little bit more, but even some of my favorites that are really close and get that are still just trying to make sure they're doing eight beers on tap really, really well. Obviously if you don't do it well, people aren't going to come in and that'll get out. So you've got to have some real staples, I would guess for lack of a better term, stuff to hold the fort down while you experiment with maybe your other taps at the end, right? To, to put out those special editions and and things like that. I, I can't imagine, you know, trying to figure out what everybody likes. You wrote an article not long ago, Tim, uh, for TGS, your first article, that kind of dealt with that and the, the whole realm of untapped, uh, the whole yes. rating system. JT, are you on untapped? Yep, I'm on Untapped. Uh, I've actually had a coworker. I I always check in when I can. I give reviews, and I had a coworker that says that came in the next day and says, "Man, were you here earlier today?" I was like, "No." He's like, "Well, because all the reviews are you from the past like day or so." So yeah, I always try to review. I don't ever really go so far as to give a description to it unless it's absolutely terrible. But usually, I just give a rating of how much I liked it and where I was when I got it and all that. So. I find it kind of cool at the end of the year that on tap gives you a kind of review of everywhere you went, all the beers you drank and all that, which is kind of cool. But yeah, I feel like I wish instead of on a scale to one to five, that's a scale to one to 10. I think it would be a more fair way of doing it because there's a lot of beers that I'm like, would be an eight, eight and a half. 
And then on this, they're like a three and a half or a four or a three, three, two point two five. And I feel that's kind of insulting. But yeah, maybe that's something that they change. I don't know why they do it zero to five, but I guess that's easier. Because oh, five stars, man. I mean, that's what it's just simple <laughs> that way. But uh, the, I'm not on Untapped, so I think it's a it's an interesting concept in that the consumer can give basically automatic feedback to the brewer, uh, but it's a it's a double edged sword, right? It's a catch twenty two in that, and Tim will can explain it probably better in that you get really good data from it, I'm sure, in, in times. Uh, and then you get the the crazy stuff where people don't, you know, they drink something they don't like and they know they won't like and then they rate it poorly. How frustrating is that for you, Tim, as a brewer? It is certainly a challenge. And it's not even that people don't like my beer. I, I've had beers I was really proud of that did not necessarily get rated well, and that's fine. Some of that might have been that we just did a poor job of marketing it. Sometimes you might have a beer that you call one thing and you change nothing about it, but the name or the style designation, and suddenly it goes from being a terrible seller to a really good seller. So I don't have a problem with that. My big problem is that ultimately, though, those ratings are affecting sales. So I see, you know, Untapped offers a menu board service. I've seen a lot of bars and restaurants have their beer menu generated by untapped. So rankings and customer reviews are flashing on the screen and that becomes a challenge because now you're trying to uh, base your decision based on what's up there, thinking those people are giving you good or expert feedback as a consumer. If you don't know what's going on and someone says, eh, this beer is terrible. Well, it's because it's a lager and they really like IPAs. They're not necessarily giving you, the consumer, that good of, of information. And in turn, us for, as brewers then have a harder time being able to control the message that we're trying to send to the consumer about what we're making. Yeah, and that makes sense because it, it's it's that confluence of where the consumer and, and the brewer can actually meet um, and exchange those ideas, but it's awful muddy water at times, I'm sure, trying to figure out what's real and what's not, which is the case and a lot of things these days, I think. JT, any specific thing you want to touch on uh, so far that we've, we've maybe glossed over or caught your attention as we've been going through all of this? Last time, I think we kind of had him break down mouthfeel, but I think he did a pretty good job explaining that this time. And that's probably something we could maybe dive into in a future podcast about how what that actually means, actually do a deep dive in that. I don't think we have a bad idea. But, um, no, as of right now, there's nothing I think is going so far so good, and I really won't add much of anything to it. If you guys hear some meowing in the background, it's because we're half an hour away from feeding time at the nut house, and apparently someone's hungry. That's mm -hmm. funny. I see. We were talking about what breweries are trying to do, what that ideal tap lineup looks like, what that diverse – lineup is what are you looking for uh, this i guess this is a two-part question what are you looking for when you go into a brewery and what are you looking for when you go into a bar because they may not be the exact same thing i'll start with the bar first when i go to a bar i want to make sure that they get a nice pale ale or ipa one of my favorite bars down here an irish pub kind of got rid of my favorite beers so i stopped going there 
Um, there was a place um, called 1908. It used to be a come and go. That's now a sports bar that had a couple really good beers that I really, really liked that they got rid of. But eventually they replaced with another IPA that I could enjoy. Um, occasionally I want to see a stout or something like that. But I just need a nice pale ale or IPA at a bar for me to be happy. If I get one of those, I'm good to go. Uh, as far as when I go to a brewery, it's got to be in my palate. If it's going to be a bunch of it's going to be a bunch of wheats and hefeweizens and all that, I'm probably not going to go inside. There's a place in Omaha that's very famous that has a vanilla bean something or other. I can't remember what it's called. Infusion Brewery, which is really really popular, and that is the worst beer I've had in my entire life. Everyone loves it. The vanilla bean something I can't remember. But yeah, but if I, most places I want to see a good variety, I want to see a couple pale ales, I want to see a couple porters or stouts, I want to see something dark and heavy, and maybe occasionally see, you know, a sour or something a little bit different, I might give it a shot. Uh, I don't care if they have lagers or something like that, I'm probably not going to drink that, but most places are going to have that because if you're not into the craft brew, that's a good place to start. Easy palate. So yeah, so I want, I want a little bit of variety, but something that's definitely in my wheelhouse, if that makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense sense you know one of the things that caught while you were in there where while you said that was the term come and go for those people who are not from the midwest that is not a strip club <laughs> uh, that is a convenience store chain uh yes it, it is a convenience store chain so uh, in case you were wondering what in the world well, he was talking about that is what he was talking about so um your response to <laughs> that that uh situation tim it's good to know it's good information to hear i think the big difference i see is there's a difference between what you're expecting out of a bar and what you're expecting out of at a brewery and i think it's also something that you can get away with at a brewery that you can't at a bar is is necessarily kind of the variety and taking a little bit more risks for sure jt you mentioned the that vanilla bean whatever that was worst beer you've ever had right would you so if you say that's your worst beer is your oreo speedwagon the best beer you've ever had it's the best beer i can get somewhat regularly i've had some really really fantastic beers at the isle craft brew fest the problem is they only make one little small little sample of it so uh that would probably i'm not a big fan of the brewery itself i think it's kind of overrated but topping goliath uh, very popular here in Iowa, very popular all over. They make a lot of beers, but they had one called the Assassin, which we actually wait in the tent next to it for them to tap it. And then I was dating a girl at a time that didn't like dark beer, so she got a sample, took one sample, she's like, this is terrible. I'm like, well, I'll finish it for you because it was fantastic beer. Um, seems like a lot of the beers I like that are special and one-offs tend to be stouts and porters. I don't know if it's because it's easier to make specialty stouts and porters if there's less risk in it or why that is. But, yeah, that's probably the best beer I've ever had. But Oreo Speedwagon certainly right up there, too. It's just so well done. That leads to another thing, right? So you get a beer that you can only get every so often like that, right, where it's a special edition or a special release maybe is what they're going to call it. And, and is from a – Brewer side, Tim, is that they do that for the scarcity of it, uh, just to drive business, or is it done because it is just maybe hard to make and do right? You know, there is something to the scarcity play, right? It's not like it's hard to make a shamrock shake or a McRib, but having that limited time offering certainly drives business. So there is something to Don't that as well. Don't you dare besmirch the McRib. 
<laughs> uh, the other challenge though is that some of those beers just take a lot of time like if you're going to do a barrel aged beer it's got to sit in there for a while a lot of people are, are barrel aging for a year so you're not going to make a whole lot at a time you might have a 60 barrel bright tank but you don't have enough wooden barrels to be able to fill all of that some of that too is just it's there's some expense to that a lot of those bigger beers have a really large grist bill and that's going to be really expensive to make so you know especially if you start adding in other additives cacao nibs coffee those types of things they really start to drive up the the cost of that beer as well so it becomes prohibitive to make a lot of it how much does a barrel like the barrels that they buy how much those typically cost because i know Oh, God, uh, Buffalo Trace is a popular one, Templeton Rye. Do different whiskey barrels cost different prices, and what's your average market rate? Oh, boy. Uh, It's kind of all over the map. It depends on how fresh they are, how new they are, um, what they had in them, if they've been used before. Certainly the the name of the brewery. It's difficult sometimes to get them – uh, direct a lot of times you're going through brokers i you know i've seen them we've gone anywhere from getting barrels for free because we talked to a distillery to you know paying uh 100 bucks for a barrel uh it all kind of depends on what you're able to get and how much you're wanting to buy it's certainly a lot better to to try to buy more at a time or maybe go in with another brewery and do a group buy uh but they can be all over the map yeah, so obviously the cost of your materials makes a big difference on what you can sell a beer for, what its markability would be. And I guess that's my next question is where's the market for a pint, right? How expensive can you go and still sell it versus how cheap do you have to be, you know, dollar draws and all those things you see from natural light ice or whatever the hell might be on sale at a college town versus your craft brews where they could be five, six, seven bucks or, you know, how, what's that range for you guys? It's really difficult. One of the big things that the big guys have an advantage over is that they definitely have that economy of scale. Uh, the only way we could ever get on in an, on a buck a pint promotion is if we were looking to to get rid of some expiring beer or something like that. Not that we would serve old beer, but sometimes you need to get rid of excess inventory. Uh, but in general, it, it, that's why you're seeing a lot of these craft breweries being able to charge six, seven dollars. And there's a, a certain amount of price elasticity there but it it, it certainly in a time like this right now it'll be interesting to see how this pandemic affects the market because you're going to see that a lot of breweries are now struggling i think there's going to be some effects on the raw materials and the, the raw ingredient side of things plus with a lot of people out of work people are willing to spend less so i think you're going to see a little less elasticity in the future to the point where maybe you could get seven dollars a pint before and now you're going to have to go five in order to be able to get that which might you know on a pint sale you're definitely doing a lot better than say on a can right and that makes sense because again even with the can you're talking about inventory and another piece of material that you've got to put it in and as opposed to the the pints and stuff but it's it's yeah it's going to be interesting to see what happens because there for i don't know the last 10 years it seems like there's a new brewery open up all the time 
Um, and at some point that has to level out. They can't, they can't just keep showing up despite the fact that during this outbreak, my refrigerator has more beer in it right now than it's had in months. <laughs> but it's one of those things where you've got to see, I guess, maybe a downtick to some extent in the market and the number of breweries. And it'll be interesting to see who survives and who doesn't, because that's going to tell you who runs their business best, probably not necessarily the quality of the beer. Well, there's a lot of challenges too right now, especially some of the newer breweries that ran into some issues just even getting started in all of this, the equipment challenges that are going on, getting people to to do installs. And then some of those, you really need to be able to kind of have that big six-month boost to be able to help you to kind of cover some of that initial capital expenditure. And for some of those newer ones that don't have that boost, it's not like people aren't looking for those bills to come due. So it, it becomes a real big challenge too. Right. So I'm going to ask you, Tim, real quickly, actually, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll ask you real quickly then. Um, the same question I asked JT earlier. And do you have a absolutely hate it, not going to drink it beer. And, uh, this is the best beer I've ever had. I don't know. Beer is such an occasion based thing for me sometimes there's beers that i absolutely didn't like that i went back to a second time and i thought were pretty good there are some beers like bud light lime bud light orange sorry jt i just have a hard time getting behind those they just taste fake uh to me uh, it's one thing if you would you know we're we're making something with a lime puree i don't have anything it's fruited beers but stuff like that and there are some beers that are just so well executed uh again my buddy andy over at bad weather in st paul is making some amazing lagers right now that that a lot of people would would think they were you know we call them boring but they're just so crisp and clean and well executed the slow pour pills at beerstad lager house in denver is probably one of my all-time favorite beers uh, that I I just almost get angry how good it is whenever I try that. <laughs> just because you you have a don't feel like you've made anything that good is that the yeah well, yeah, the yeah 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 no there there have been a couple of times where uh, a friend of mine and I have gone and we've tried someone's beers and we're like oh f that guy seriously. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, it's good to be able to admit it, though. Um, yeah. And circle back to uh, something that JT had actually touched on, and you you said here, occasion-based. Um, I've heard that term a, a few times, and, you know, JT talks about his water bottles before games, right? That's an occasion. Um, on the golf course, if I'm on the golf course, I'm going to want – something lighter. I don't want to drink a Guinness while I'm playing golf when it's 90 degrees out. Um, so to some extent that occasion based, uh, theme, right. Is because what you're doing at the time makes all the difference in the world. So I can understand how circling back to a beer that you've had maybe at the wrong time once, uh, mm-hmm. and then having it circling back around and having it at the right time would absolutely matter. Because if the first time you ever had Guinness was on a 90-degree day, you'd probably hate it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and sometimes what you're eating, what your palate is doing, those things, your palate changes throughout your lifetime. 
how you're feeling. If you're sick, something's going to be different. So there's a lot of things that can affect that. So I would certainly encourage people to try a beer more than once. That's fair. Like you should try a Bud Light Lime again, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> JT's got one with your name on it. As a matter of fact, he's drinking one right now. <sighs> Tastes so, so clean and refreshing. Things... Yeah, right. Well, one of the things that I neglected to mention a little bit earlier is uh, we do have a fourth person with us. Uh, his name is Mr. David Graff. He is doing the producing here, but I am going to invite him in here for a second and see if he's got any questions that we've covered that he wants Tim to answer, or even JT and I, not that I can give you an educated answer on much of anything uh, other than how many beers does it take for me to get drunk. But David, <laughs> do you have any questions that uh, we, you need answered? I got to ask, like, how do you become a professional beer person? That's a uh, great question. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, for some breweries that are opening right now, it's some guy who made some homebrew once and his friends and family told him it was great and he opened it. And that's why some of these breweries are not fantastic that are out there. Uh, I started out working uh, in the tap room at, at a brewery and eventually uh, worked myself through an apprenticeship through the American Brewers Guild program out of Vermont. There are a number of brewing schools that you can go to. Some are as involved as getting your PhD, but those are pretty much all over in Europe. Uh, but there's some things through the Siebel Institute, through the uh, uh, program out at UC Davis that have brewing school programs. And then really just spending a lot of time learning and experience and immersed in the culture and, and learning from, from the greats. One of my favorite things about this industry is that people from all over are willing to share and willing to help. That's good because it's, uh, I assume, a pretty small, I mean, it's a huge industry in the number of dollars, right? But it's really a small group of people probably doing it um, and doing it successfully. So uh, I'm sure you know a ton of the of the brewers across the country just from, from various interactions and stuff. And I, I think that's one of those neat things about that. I don't know if you want to call it artisan, but craft, right? Those communities of people who do things like that, they really are communities uh, more often than not. And uh, I know that JT wishes he was part of that community, I'm sure. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you, you talked a little bit about homebrewing in the circle back to that. JT, have you ever homebrewed? No, I've never homebrewed at my house I'm at right now. I don't really have the kitchen space to do that. Uh, I barely have enough kitchen space to cook. The house I, my folks last lived at would have been perfect because they got they just had a giant kitchen and everything there on the main floor, but they're now living in a town home. But uh, it's something I've definitely wanted to get into. There used to be a home brewery store about maybe a mile away from my house. Probably not even that, probably half a mile from my house that I never got a chance to try. But that is definitely something someday I would like to give a shot. Oh, I, I assumed you had plenty of kitchen space because you were living in your mom's basement. But... <laughs> 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 Spending all that time at breweries, as you do. I didn't know if you had uh, enough money for rent and stuff, you know, or to for a mortgage. No, my mortgage is pretty, pretty inexpensive, I, I'm, <laughs> which is nice. It's actually my mortgage would be cheaper than paying for a rent in this town. So, so it's really oh, nice. Oh, yeah. 
Sure. It's been a long time since I I lived in uh, Iowa, so I don't know. Uh, but, there's uh, a lot of people moving to townhomes and all that downtown. I'm like, why would I want that? I don't want neighbors. I don't want to listen to your music or you stomping around on your feet on the tile floor and all that crap. So, so yeah. So the social distancing is really easy, and my only roommates are two cats that are always hungry and always want to be up on my crap. So. I said a that was word. another reason I thought you were living in your mom's basement because you have cats. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> we'll only have cats. So I actually bought a cat or adopted a cat the day after I moved in my house about 10 years ago. So love to have a dog, but I work too much for that. Uh, yeah. No, I think uh, I think we've covered a lot of ground. Um, and obviously we'll get into more depth on some of these subjects as the, the podcast uh, rolls on but is there anything from either one of you two guys that you think we need to cover in this kind of introductory podcast to to give a folks out there an idea of where we're going uh, that we haven't covered or anything specific that we need to touch on so that we have that base knowledge going forward you know i think what i'll just say is right now I would really ask that people go support their local breweries. Uh, this is certainly, again, a, a tough time. Packaged beer is definitely a tight margin industry. We don't know what's going on. There's a, going to be even more volatility. So I just really want to encourage people to, to go drink what they love and support those people. I'd piggyback on that and say, yeah, a lot of the breweries here in town are going to do some, you know, crowlers and growlers to go. Uh, so... So yeah, Crowlers. so the, the, go ahead and support them. Uh, you won't be able to sit in the room and drink it, but at least go there. And I'd also say if you're doing carry out food, if you're doing carry out beer, instead of tipping, tip a little bit extra because every dollar for them is going to count. Every dollar for that server that's there trying, that's you know risking the possible virus and all that, uh, goes to their families. Um, I always try to over tip anyway. My parents always taught me that you should tip and tip more than you should uh, just because most people don't um, take care of those who take care of you kind of a thing. But yeah, I've been trying to on my way home and trying to hit the local breweries as much as I can um, just so I have beer at home and all that. And that, that dollar that I would have spent had I sat there for an hour on a Tuesday night. Now I can't do that now. Well, that one, but Tuesday would have Wednesday because I got bowling on Tuesday, but uh, that I can give them the money that they can keep going and hopefully keep their doors open when we can all be back into regular life again, if in that ever happens. And that's something we missed. We touched on last time with crowlers and how much you hated that. Maybe we could have your rant on how stupid the term crowler is. I, I 100% think that's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard of. It's a can for crying out loud. It's, what a 32 ounce can right what why do we have to take a term for a glass bottle add a c onto the front of it drop the g oh crowler yeah that seems like a really fantastic idea it's a can it's a double tall boy for fuck's sake i mean you know so, it's 32 ounces of beer uh, one thing i'll tell you about this industry is we love our puns the last canning line, canning line I used came from American Beer Equipment out of Lincoln, Nebraska. So, yes, American Beer Equipment out of Lincoln, Nebraska, Abe Lincoln. And they called it the Lynn Can. And <laughs> what fed that Lynn Can was the can bus That's what it was. My Scott Brewing made this this uh, depalletizer called the can bus 
So we love our puns. I don't understand with all of these names like Oreo Speedwagon. Can you imagine any other industry where all of your product names are something silly and a pun? Yeah, well, that's like, uh, I can't even remember the name of the the uh, brewery. They're in Colorado. Oh, I think it's uh, Flying Dog. Uh, they have their doggy style pale ale. Um, I think it's Flying Dog out of out of Colorado. Yeah, that's been 10 years ago, I think, since I saw that and drank that beer. But uh, it's one of those things where I have noticed that in the past, a lot of puns and and bad things but crowler definitely definitely <laughs> the worst 100 percent the worst we want to thank everybody for joining us on this first broadcast if you like it subscribe to tgs if you haven't already stitcher itunes is there still an itunes does that disappear and turn into apple music or something like that that's how out of touch this guy is but uh, any of those places that you get your podcasts from, you can probably find us there. Uh, as always, podcasts and stuff from the Tailgate Society is brought to you by Deadeye Barbecue Sauce, the best GD barbecue sauce in the world. It's really good. You can find uh, Deadeye at Fairways and local grocery stores in Iowa, and you can also get it on Amazon, which I have done since I lived in Seattle. Uh, you can get it right out of Amazon, which is awesome because it is very good. JT, thanks for coming along with me on this. Um, you know, I think we're going to have a lot of fun as we we move this forward and uh, look at having some guests and getting into the tasting of different beers and giving our reviews and all of that and i uh, really appreciate it and uh hopefully everybody out there enjoys it if you like it let us know again i am at aaron l wall on twitter uh jt give them your handle so they can find you it's at jt the nut uh jt the and the nut is n-u-t-t like a peanut with two t's uh i'm on twitter quite a bit Probably on Untap, and I've got an Instagram and all that as well, but I'm too old for that crap, so just follow me on Twitter. <laughs> and Tim? I'm on Twitter at TimJohnsonMN, since there are probably 7,000 Tim Johnsons within five feet of me right now. It was difficult to find one <laughs> that everyone could find me at, but I was lucky enough to be the first Minnesota Tim Johnson to get at Tim Johnson MN. So follow me there for a lot of snark and a lot of late night tweets about how much I love one, um, the uh, Uncrustables. So absolutely. Oh yeah. I saw that the other night. Uh, that was pretty funny. Uh, Tim and I do like to uh, yell at clouds as old men. Uh, we are the elder statesmen, or a couple of the the older guys at the Tailgate Society. Um, so we've got some some hot takes on this stuff the young kids are doing these days. So, uh, but look for us there. We really appreciate it. Thanks again. Uh, remember, you can find us at the Tailgate Society, and this has been brought to you by Dead Eye Barbecue Sauce. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.